When I turned 16, I was a little rebel. I just finished high school and all hormones had peaked. I was working and for the first time I had my own money and the only thing in my mind was boys. And not just boys, bad boys. This is the age when I discovered my sexuality, when I started feeling wanted and desirable. The age when I lost my virginity, the age when I had my first proper boyfriend. I remember when Jack bracket not my first boyfriend first approached me fine af and i can still remember how it felt to feel wanted by someone i really wanted to that feeling has been the one i've kept reigniting in so many of my relationships to date the way i relate with men then shaped the way i've related with them most of my life the freedom i felt then to be my own person and to do what i want is also a feeling that has informed so many of my decisions in life i'm always asking myself how can i structure my life to get the most amount of freedom hi lydia hi Obosha. <laughs> thank you for welcoming us to your home karibuni thank and you for, so being much for being here at your home <laughs> for being at my home you're welcome that i'm at my house yeah. <laughs> yeah um we've never had someone write a letter mm. with an intro before it's oh, so unique. Really? It felt like, yeah, it felt like the opening to a movie, sort what, of. Was another assignment? <laughs> no, the assignment was to write a letter to your younger oh. self. But then yours has an intro. But it's not a bad thing, <laughs> you know? I just want to understand, like, what was the thought process behind, you know, having the intro first right. and then the letter to yourself? So when you sent me the instructions, it said that, um, you know, pick an age and what was going on with that age. I guess you guys wanted me to think about it. Mm-hmm. But I wrote the thought process. <laughs> I wrote, like, what was going on when I was 16, what, where my mind was at, why that's an important age. Yeah. So I wrote it down Are for you, you guys. It? <laughs> yeah. All right. Surely, no, yeah. but that's yeah. good because it gave us a lot of insight. And right. also there's a lot that was in the intro that mm. wasn't really touched on um, in the letter. Yeah. So then now we got to really, you know, Have visualize Lydia. Yes, as, at 16. Yeah, exactly. So good. I loved it. How yeah. did it feel writing the letter to yourself? Um, It felt... There was some moments which felt a bit triggering. There were some moments which I felt sad Mm -hmm. because I was able to put myself in that state and think about what I was going through, what I was feeling, some of the things I was struggling with. So there was a sadness then. But there was also this really amazing feeling of like, I don't know, triumph, Mm -hmm. knowing that I've been able to get myself past some of those things. I know how to you know regulate my emotions i've come out of some of the things i was struggling with so yeah. it was half and half yay and like oh little lid yeah <laughs> i love it so before yeah. we get into it mm-hmm. you can start by you reading us your letter to your younger self okay i haven't read it since i wrote it so uh-huh. lydia don't cry please don't, don't cry on this <laughs> internet free. don't free. cry <laughs> We encourage tears. You encourage tears. <laughs> Yet you don't have tissue for me. We have tissue. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, fine. All right, but I think I'm going to be okay. All right, fine. <clears throat> Little lid, 
I know it feels like the most incredible feeling to be wanted, to be desired, to be needed, but the truth is in being valued. When you're truly valued, you won't have to perform, you won't have to second guess yourself. You're about to meet a boy who values you and because you don't know how to value yourself, it will feel uncomfortable and scary. It will feel so unfamiliar, but I promise you it's where you need to be. Breathe through the discomfort and see his actions. See how much he cares for you and how much he's willing and able to treat you exactly how you deserve the ultimate high is to be valued that's where you'll be safe that's first part <laughs> perfect um little lid you're allowed to change your mind i know you're reconsidering whether law is truly what you want to pursue but you don't but you don't feel like you have permission to change your mind but you do Give yourself permission to grow and to change and allow your decisions to be informed by that. You can't explore. You can't take a gap year. Take that trip to China. Allow yourself to expand beyond what you think is safe. That's where you find yourself, not in the box of everyone's expectations. Okay, little lid. <laughs> Little lid, the hole that's left from the pain of your childhood is bottomless. You will try to fill it with partying, boys, work, ideas, but none of these things will ever fill it. It's an inside job. You will realize it along the way that you can only take the world as far as you've traveled within. So start now. Start looking inside to heal those parts of you that are wounded. And I promise you on the other side is a version of you that you will be so proud of. Little lid, start learning healthy money habits now. You're making a lot of money and no responsibilities. I know you want clothes and fun and food, but if you save even the tiniest bit now, you set yourself up so well. I love that you're a dreamer and that will take you far, but being smart with money will change your life in amazing ways. Seek advice where you can, where you can and start learning to be disciplined. It will save you so much hell later on. Oh, <laughs> thank! I wrote so much, by the way. Yeah, you I, had to I, go tons back and tons and tons and tons. There was actually a passage about like my mom and dad, like my dynamics with my parents. But anyway, um, yeah, I had so much to say. That was a, it. Was a really good exercise. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, so you write your letter to sixteen-year-old Lily. Yeah. So that's the point. You're graduating high school mm -hmm. and you have a job. Was it your first job? It was my first official job. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking about sixteen-year-old Maxine. I was in form three. Definitely had never worked <laughs> a day in my life. Yeah. So here you are. You know, working, getting money. What yeah. job did you have? So I was working at a call center. Um, it was called one one eight twenty four seven. I don't know if it's still there. This is in Bristol, England, and every finishes high school at 16 so it's not like i'm, I'm advanced uh -huh. for context everyone finishes <laughs> high school at 16 um so it was customer service i was working um now after 16 i went into i went to college so i was going a few days college and then a few hours after work like three times a week mm -hmm. i would go and like do customer service and i was bawling i, I found my my first pay slip and i think i was getting paid something like i don't know like 150 pounds a week something yeah, yeah and i had no responsibility my mom didn't want us to do it she was just like just spend your money Oof. 
living life <laughs> and at that age that's a lot of money per week Staggering. considering you know here at 16 you're not working yeah. you have just the allowance yeah. to you know hang on to mm. it really is a lot of money at that age if yeah. you come to think of it yeah. um how did you like it how was it working at the call center it was good it was customer service so there's mm-hmm. some pros some cons like mm-hmm. customer service like and i guess abroad more than anywhere else is like the customer is always right so you know you're going to get all of these people by the way this was when 118 was a phone book where you just found like you know listings of like pizza places and things like that uh-huh. now th- all of those contacts were in a system so we would just give people the information that was on the phone book right because then ah. there was we didn't have like what was was google around i don't know <laughs> i i can't remember but that was just not a thing so people called in like 118 24/7 the phone book to get like Numbers. information about pizza places and print mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. so then that's what i'll do i'll just answer I'll be like where are you location yeah. what do you want enter and then i give them the contact number that was my job <laughs> um what was your relationship with money at that age um i for most of my life i just felt like money is going to be there i don't know where it's coming from but see it's going to be there it's yeah fine that's been my attitude with money and this comes from uh when we moved to england my mom used to leave us her card mm-hmm. right so how old were you i was 11 mm-hmm. so she used to just leave us her card if we needed anything because maybe she's going to work or whatever she didn't want us to not have so i had access to money quite early on without really having the trail of where it comes from and what's happening and yeah. what some, the sacrifices people have to make so that idea of like money is just going to be there i had mm-hmm. so now i have my own money mm-hmm. so it's just like money is here it was just spend and go out and party and to me up as i could say is done you know <laughs> like, the way, without thinking without saving yeah and yeah. even before we continue you understand swahili yeah i do but I won't get it as well. Like so it's like I heard the words but I'm sure there's like some funny context <laughs> yeah. underneath that. Because way. it just hit me and I was like I could be here just speaking a ton of Swahili and it's no. passing you you you. I understand conversational and if the, I don't get uh-huh. it I'll ask. So more in it less. <laughs> Umelewa. Umelewa. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I speak Swahili people say yes, I sound like a Muindi yeah. so I just don't do it. But you understand I do. Yeah. I do. That's good enough. Really, that that, that is good enough. That is mm-hmm. good enough. So now as a result of I guess the knowing money will always be there then now it leads to you know bad spending habits yep. bad financial habits in mm-hmm. itself and in your letter you say that um it leads you to go through hell at some point yeah. in your life mm-hmm. so what sort of hell is this that you're referring to so poor planning mm-hmm. right so it's like the money that has passed through these hands wabosha in this my lifetime We we should be sat somewhere in Runda. I'm telling you, we sat somewhere in Runda relaxing. Uh, yeah. And the hell came with um if you make decisions where you're not planned, like for example when I moved here, um I wasn't as planned financially. I got money like to move and I even had um some money of my own saved up, but yeah. it, I was just reckless with it. So instead of planning, maybe I could have even started a business at that time, mm-hmm. you know, help help grow myself as i figure out what i wanted to do because i changed careers when i relocated like yeah. there's so many things that were more of a struggle that didn't need to be a struggle because i wasn't actually planned well with money mm-hmm. and it's something which actually took a lot of mindset work still working on it now still yeah. because sometimes i still do see i'm just like i ah, see you come <laughs> 
but for the most part it's like now i guess i'm i'm smarter because i'm just like lydia we can't live like this forever but um i went through a lot of like struggling when i didn't need to because yeah. i always had money the whole time i could have just planned myself a bit better mm-hmm. mm. and when was that turning point when was this switch where you were like you know what maybe we need to get a bit wiser with how we spend money how we you know interact with money has it come has it come yeah. is is it here <laughs> i don't know um mm. i feel like it's it's one of those things that it's like it's such a core belief of mine that is just like it's taking bit like movement bit by bit you know mm. it's something which i've got to be super conscious of like constantly through my life but i think the switch came when when i turned 30 i did like 5am club and it just kind of pushed me up as far as my discipline and that kind of came everywhere mm-hmm. right so i just started being more disciplined generally which i guess affected my money as well and then also when i said when i kind of came out of the i don't know what's going on with my life i haven't figured it out i yeah. did um i was working on a, a talk show host and i moved to content creation full time then there was all of that confusion when i stabilized i was like i never want to be unstable again yeah. so it was like there was some shift there that made me feel like okay if we found stability again let's just maintain it like mm-hmm. worst case scenario just just maintain it that's it yeah what's the biggest change you you'd say you had to make mm-hmm. um the biggest change i had to make was to stabilize everything ensure everything that you can't live without is catered for mm. then mess up with everything else so it's just like you know i hear people just be like oh yeah we spent rent in the club what <laughs> what how you know it's like that is what i won't do i was like everything that's important everything that i know that i need to live has to be figured out mm-hmm. and then if like if i'm if i'm still like being a bit silly with like everything else mm-hmm. it's like that's not the end of the world but being silly with the things which are like important to you like i don't know your petrol money your yeah. maintaining your car food those that's just make sure to take care of first yeah those first and then forget if you if you're broke afterwards then you'll be broke after but mm-hmm. yeah those ones are catered for okay let's talk a bit about your childhood yeah because mm-hmm. you've mentioned it a bit and yeah. mentioned you know there's like mention of a bit of trauma yeah. behind there yeah. so take us a bit about take us a bit back mm-hmm. to your upbringing you okay. know and your relationship with your parents we can start um from like i guess when you moved to the uk okay fine um so my parents separated when i was nine. Mm-hmm. um and then my mom moved to england when i was when actually when i was nine, it was like almost immediately after they separated with my dad she moved mm-hmm. so my dad took us we were staying with him and my grandma um for like almost two two and a half years now my mom had relocated so that's trauma one mm-hmm. the your mom leaving you and despite me being an adult and understanding why she did and thank god she did it opened up my life in magical ways that i can't even explain yeah. but that's my adult me but child me when a child is left it's abandonment when an adult is left it's just being left yeah but a child because you're relying on your parents for your survival that abandonment so i have an abandonment from there so mm-hmm. that's trauma one <laughs> yeah um anyway um the there was a, it, my parents separation was acrimonious acrimonious mm-hmm. um when we lived with my dad there was a point where he wouldn't let us speak to my mom and you know on top of not having your mom around not being able to speak speak to her that was like a lot emotionally and and that's when my extrovertedness you know i look like i'm an extrovert but 
this was more of a trauma response because mm-hmm. I was kind of taking care of my sister. I just had to fill an adult role very early on when they separated. Then I, we moved to the UK when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Now there's the acculturative kind of stress, you know, understanding a different landscape, um, yeah. how people interact. It's all new. You're 11, you're this like African child. Then in the UK, it wasn't cool to be African. I can tell you this <laughs> now. It was not cool to be fresh off the boat. Um, so you're figuring all of that out. Then um, I was, I guess, it seemed like I was ahead of the game. I went to top set in all my classes. And that came with another stress because I was around only white top people in my class. Like... So it's like these top sets. Yeah, this now sounds so horrible to say like this, but it's like that. It's like the smartest, then they set two, then they set three, then they set four. Oh, and they do that to us here too. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like when you say it out loud, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, and the top set, naturally, because of like systemic um racism is mostly white people Mm. so then i was constantly like the only child or one of two in a place full of white people and that affected the way i think and the way i see myself so much so yeah then um, our relationship with my dad was definitely strained after we left to be honest it just all went to the dustbin um after that and that was a lot that was a lot of emotional stuff and let me just be clear Generally speaking, I had a great childhood, but mm-hmm. I like to be open about the things which were traumatic because everyone, most people keep that to themselves yeah. and I want to be vocal about that. So, I mean, I was raised in England. Let's not pretend like the world was ending for me, you <laughs> yeah. know? Um, it's just there were some emotional burdens that came with that that I don't feel like I was able to deal with at that age. Um, so my relationship with my dad kind of just went down in the dustbin but after i finished high school i think things were a bit better because now i'm in college now you can choose your friends whereas high school is like this is all you have whereas like the college you choose to i went to a college where i knew there were going to be more black people that's Mm. where i met a lot of like um other people from other countries like um Congo, Nigeria, that's where I met my best friend Mima who's from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So it's like I felt like now I could choose more how my landscape looked like. Mm -hmm. My mom did a fantastic job um, keeping us close to our culture. Like she had a lot of friends who were Kenyan. So we didn't feel so far removed. But maybe in school sometimes it wasn't like that. Um, But I did have some, my my friends, my small small core friends were Caribbean, but they weren't in my classes, right? But I was around black people. And Mm -hmm. when we went to year 10, which is like the next half of high school, we had more black people because mm. we our schools merged with another more predominantly black school. Um, so it was like, you know, I was feeling more like I have my people around me. Then yeah. college was great. Then I went to uni in Essex where majority of the student body is, um, is international students. So I met a ton of Nigerians. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the reasons that informed, that was one of the things that informed me relocating because it was just like Africa is amazing yeah yeah so it's like they showed me a different perspective of what life could be relocating yeah so that that's my childhood in a nutshell Uh, yeah and Mm -hmm. did you used to like come back home to visit your dad was there communication so we moved when I was 11 I think the next time we came back I was 16 Mm -hmm. so we had attempted to do some communication but there was a lot of trauma there because my dad kind of held on to the fact that he felt like we left him mm-hmm. where, whereas more like the entire situation was more like we were taken right <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's because they my parents kind of the, 
I don't think my mom wanted to participate, but she did, just did. It kind of became like a war for us, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like whoever you, you're with is the one who's deciding. So it's like we were more taken than anything, but he held on to that so much. Yeah. So it, it ended up being really difficult. So when we used to come, it was it was kind of acrimonious. God help my mom. She's so used to take us to see my dad, and she wanted us to have a connection with my dad's side of the family. But it was tough. And I can see now, like, you know, the older I get, how tough it was for my dad too, mm-hmm. right? Not just how it was tough for us. But we came when I was, I think I was when I was 16, when I was 18, when I was 21. So, yeah, there was an attempt to keep us connected to Kenya, yeah. Yeah, so in the long run, not only did your mom, you know, get the blame from your dad, but you guys as well. Of course, like he held part. a grudge for you guys. Yeah. Um. And now, and when I look back, I just feel so bad because it's like there's an abandonment which which you left, and you just did that because you wanted a better life for your family. Yeah. Then there's the you know you you're the reason why a family separated, and at the time as a child, you're not really understanding yeah. that you know these are adult relationships. So she kind of had to hold on and hold on to kind of being the bad guy for a while. Mm-hmm. But she knew. She knew eventually would understand and now it's just like thank you god yeah because if the trauma we feel now what would have been exposed to had they stayed together that mm-hmm. would have been ridiculous that was yeah. a, a wise cho- choice a smart choice and she said even she did feel guilty to separate the family because it's not our fault yeah. that they're having issues but sometimes these things happen they really do, they do. and still in the same light mm. um you say that you know understand that mom and dad were doing their best yeah and you know when you're young you have this sort of superhero mentality of your parents yeah. um and as you grow older is when now you start seeing and start understanding that they're just human as well and um i can remember for myself um my parents again were always all the, all the time the superheroes right. and they always knew everything mm-hmm. so i remember the first time i went to my dad and i asked him a question mm-hmm. and he looked at me and he was just like i actually don't know and i was so confused i was like what do you mean like how don't <laughs> if you don't know who does who knows <laughs> and where am i supposed to know from yeah and he just looked at me and he was like i actually i don't know and that is when i was like wow <laughs> people they are just yeah. people like me and you exactly yeah so what was the like at what age or at what point did you make such a realization you know when you started to understand like these guys are also just human we need to give them a break um so with my mom mm-hmm. because she's the parent who kind of really fought um for her space in my life and she's the one who i guess gave me so much she's the one who raised me that came very easy mm-hmm. because yes you know when i was going through that city age by the way i was a bit of a rebellion like i had like six months of just like i can do whatever i want yeah. I hate mom the world <laughs> is over kind of thing but as soon as we were past that i always really understood because if i look at the trajectory of my life every decision that my mom has made has been about what's good for my children like literally every decision she makes from that standpoint whereas with my dad i struggled Mm -hmm. (laughs) i struggled a little bit a little bit and it's taken therapy um therapy has been really life-changing and it's it's been slow because as you get older and as you start to learn uh, or as you learn as you grow this way Mm. you start to see like you're really struggling with your own shit lydia yeah i mean 
have you figured out your own emotions have you figured out um you know who you're going to be with and what's your career and you see your own struggles and you're just like i'm 32 now mm -hmm. my dad had me when he was i think 30 or something like that right right now give me a kid let's see <laughs> give me a baby right now and see what i'll do with it you know it's like yeah. you start empathizing because it's just like whoa they had not figured out their stuff. Mm -hmm. They didn't have therapy. They didn't have all the opportunities that I have, access to all the information I have. And they were struggling. And I'm still struggling with everything and therapy and all of that. Yeah. So then I had so much empathy with, with like, you didn't have enough support with all of the stuff you went through. Because my dad had a lot of childhood traumas. Mm -hmm. You didn't have any help. And so you could only be for me as much as you were to yourself. And that's not that much. So then I, I've slowly, that's still a dance. I'm not going to lie. That's still a little <laughs> bit of a dance. Um, but I've come to the point where it's just like, I'm struggling with my own stuff and I'm trying my best to work on it. And I know he's trying his best, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it's a slow, gentle journey. But mm. for the most part, I am at empathy for sure. Okay. Yeah. And there's also mention of 16 year old lid not entirely valuing herself right so do you think that there is a correlation between young lid not valuing herself mm -hmm. and your childhood and your relationship with your parents mm -hmm. and does it also sort of tie into needing mm -hmm. but not really needing because mm -hmm. it's not a need wanting mm -hmm. people to want you of course, um, especially with the relationship with, you have with your dad as a girl, mm -hmm. it fundamentally, it's like your foundation as far as the dynamic you have with men, with relationships in your life. Um, and so it leaves a wound, right? And also yeah. have an abandonment wound, right? My attachment style is anxious attacher, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a highly sensitive person. Need I go on? <laughs> you know, there's all of these things which um, affect the way that you're going to relate with people, right? Yeah. And so if, for example, now when I was 16 I started to date right I don't have a relationship or a foundation with a man that shows me this is the way you need to be mm -hmm. treated this is the way that you're valued this is what you do you know you don't know that so yeah. you are experimenting and the first guy who I bump into is like this bad boy who's like oh my god so hot <laughs> I still think of him he was so hot right so yeah i remember i can feel it in my body how i felt when he first approached me and i was young like kind of just not sure of myself i'm telling you about all of these things about like migrating and all of these things that didn't make any sense to me yeah but that feeling i was just like oh my god like to be wanted like that right <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's like you kind of almost chase that high you know you chase that feeling and I, I like as i'm feeling right now i see how i've replicated that feeling in mo a lot of the times when i've met somebody who mm. i was interested in right um so it's like when somebody wants you and you don't know what it's like to be wanted you hold on to that when somebody needs you and loves you when that that's not something which you feel especially from a male figure yeah. then you just hold on to that and you keep that and unfortunately what tends to be is that what, it's not always from people who value you. So now you have this feeling from this person. Mm -hmm. They don't value you, but you are going to do whatever it takes to keep it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then that's how you're going to end up in situations where you're not treated well, you're not respected, etc., etc. So yeah, that that shaped a lot of how um, I relate, and it's it's taken a lot of work for me to be able to align with people who treat me well, with yeah. peaceful partners. It's taken. A journey to be able to do that and mm -hmm. i mean at one point there was like a peak relationship which was just like i would call it like where my trauma went to die right kind mm -hmm. of relationship where it was just like 
really bad treatment like the person is definitely like a knock spectrum <laughs> human um so it's like i could see how my trauma came like to its peak there but you learn you go and then maybe you attract a peaceful partner and you learn that you can be treated well and you can mm-hmm. be treated with respect and you you get better as time goes yeah, yeah. so it actually goes all the way to when you are nine year old being left your attachment style you know is affected from that point then the abandonment yeah. wound carries with you and informs so many of your decision and that's mm. why i'm always talking about healing <laughs> heal go to therapy talk about your childhood trauma see how your relationship with your parents affected you yeah. and it's not always about bad parenting trauma isn't about what your parents did it's the wound that it left it's because the way you are inter- interpreting your parents actions when you were younger mm-hmm. it's, it's just for my mature place you know your mom is on the phone and she's, she doesn't want to give you airtime you feel like you're not loved yeah. of course it's not that but it's because you are young and you're interpreting your parents behavior from an immature um, an emotionally immature place mm-hmm. that leaves a wound that's the work that you need to do Guys, this is like what the fourth episode in a row therapy is being mentioned. Yeah, it's a sign. Please, <laughs> it's please, a sign. It's a sign. And let me shamelessly plug my therapist contact list on my Instagram page. It has their rates, their locations, what they specialize in. It's basically a shortcut yeah. for looking for a therapist. A therapist. Yeah. What is to truly value yourself? Um, I've been giving this analogy. <laughs> I don't know if it's right. Like trying to articulate to someone what valuing yourself is, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Valuing yourself is understanding who you are, what you're about, what your values are, and actually what your worth is. Let mm-hmm. me give you an example. Let's say we have a toddler here, right? I have a hundred k, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't understand that this is a hundred k I'm holding, I can easily give to a toddler, and when they mess it up, they burn it, they do whatever. They don't know what it is, yeah. right? Because I am I'm not aware of the value myself. Mm-hmm. I can give it. But if I know this 100K I have right here, Wabosha, would I ever, mm. if I'm truly aware of the value of this money, it's 100K, I would never give it to a toddler. Mm-hmm. So what tends to happen, I, when I would say in like relationship dynamics, especially even friendships, by the way, or even work, right? If you're not aware yourself of your value, then you don't always assess well who has the capacity to be um, and to understand that value and to hold that value well right so if i know this 100k i'm going to give it to somebody who understands money who's good with money who knows how to budget who knows how to invest so i'm going to assess the value and the capacity of this person to hold this 100k and so you'll see in your life a lot if you haven't if you when you are trying to understand your value you gave yourself to people who had no business Truly. having you they didn't have the capacity mm-hmm. to hold that and maybe you are assessing that because you yourself couldn't understand you couldn't understand what you bring to the table you couldn't understand who you are you did you weren't aware of your own values mm-hmm. and because of wounding that's what trauma does to you it kind of kills you off from seeing who you truly are because all you're focused on is getting a need met a need that you didn't get when you were younger yeah so like as you heal those wounds you start to understand oh by the way i'm a millie mm-hmm. i'm a millie so when somebody's coming asking can they have this millie yeah you're like show me the statement what mm-hmm. have you what can you do with a millie you know so that's the way i w- um i would say what valuing yourself is and this comes with treating yourself the way you're seeking other people to treat you 
that need that need for connection that need for love that mm-hmm. need for to be wanted give that to yourself treat yourself like the love of your life that's what i'm always saying on my page yeah. i am the love of my life so before i'm coming to ask someone can you respect me mm-hmm. can you buy me flowers can you um respect my place or my home or whatever can you respect my body i've done it myself and that's t- it, it's a journey it's a journey and i'm probably by the time i'm looking back when i'm 40 i'm gonna be like you thought you valued yourself you know i feel <laughs> yeah. like it's always coming but i can see right now i feel like i'm in a place where i'm just like yeah you're a millie mm-hmm. even maybe a billy yeah <laughs> and yeah. now having learned that or knowing or understanding that now mm-hmm. how do you approach relationships mm-hmm. you know both um platonic romantic mm-hmm. differently now so the the biggest difference my needs are important mm-hmm. number one and it's not that anyone ever made me feel like my needs aren't important but i wasn't always as forthcoming with this is like a need that just has to be there number two i feel like it's my responsibility to be as authentic as possible in all my relationship dynamics whether it's my friends whether it's um, romantic relationships meaning having difficult conversations mm-hmm. someone has done something to upset me someone has crossed a boundary it's my responsibility to show up authentically and tell them despite the fact that i know you didn't intend to do me like this this is how it occurred to me and this is how it hurt me so being everywhere i am being my true authentic self and that's the only way i'm going to align with people mm-hmm. who truly match my energy people who are actually who have the capacity to have a relationship with me whether it's friendship whether it's romantic yeah. so that's one of the things which is like it's non-negotiable for me now i have to show up authentically mm-hmm. yeah and actually it's funny you've mentioned that because i really struggle like you know the, what we're talking about mm-hmm. i guess off camera mm-hmm. um when we established that my attachment style is avoidant <laughs> we are not diagnosing <laughs> her but but the traits the traits are there They're guys there. the traits are there <laughs> um yeah so even like maybe in a friendship of, or something if something goes wrong I wouldn't come to you lead and say oh my god you did this and like it sort of hurt me or it rubbed me the wrong way I'll just disappear like you'll just start seeing I'm not around for a while until I get over it and then I come back and now you see the problem with that is that you don't know you know maybe what you did for you was normal, normal. Mm-hmm. and so you're going to repeat it again probably yeah. and then now you start thinking oh this person is a bad friend but truly It's you didn't who's not communicate communicate that happens all of the time yeah. and it, um, a lot of us have a bit of a wounding that says number one, people are not capable of meeting my needs mm-hmm. right most people who have an insecure attachment styles avoidant and anxious people they don't believe that their needs can be met like they don't trust people to do that mm-hmm. then also sometimes we don't trust that we're going to be loved when we are truly ourselves yeah. so if you come to someone and you tell them you upset me right there is a fear mm-hmm. that, that you don't think that away. person is going to love you mm-hmm. and embrace you as you are that way and that fear that fear of being left mm-hmm. or the abandonment fear is way worse than this discomfort or between us yeah. you know so it's 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 it, that's how um, it operates and mm-hmm. it takes time it takes a lot of time to be like 
wabosha like and to look at you in the face and know that maybe you're gonna feel so bad about what i've just told you mm-hmm. but it's important that you know me truly and you see me truly yeah yeah and it, it, it takes a lot of courage to be that vulnerable but it's so worth it mm-hmm. like i go to bed me i'm not worrying anyone has disturbed me <laughs> i just sleep peacefully this one my skin is glowing yeah. this one, this one, and just flourishing <laughs> because i'm feeling like there's nobody who is in my life or i'm sharing my space with who i feel like they they can't see me and yeah I take this courageous step to let them see me mm-hmm. yeah i think for me that is my biggest takeaway from today right? yeah that i will try to do better yes when it comes to um so now fast forward from 16 year old lead mm-hmm. and you're now a champion and advocate mm-hmm. for mental health mm-hmm. and wellness mm-hmm. how did we get to this point um i guess almost how everyone probably tells their story about how they got into their career somehow it's like mm-hmm. for me it's i was working on something I wanted to understand my why. I did psychology in A levels and just naturally I've always been curious about why do people do that? Like mm. why are you the way you are, Wabosha? I've just always had that natural curiosity and that's led me to my why. Like mm-hmm. why am I the way that I am? Why do I talk this way? Why do I want to do these things? Why do I relate people that why do I attract the people who I attract? Yeah. And in my quest for my why and my curiosity to undo some of my false truths and to learn myself a bit better i take people along with me mm-hmm. because they still ways are making mistakes they still ways i don't know but that curiosity i'm bringing people along that journey yeah. and i'm so passionate i'm so passionate to cut the journey short for people i don't want you to have to go through all of like the thousands of hours of research and understanding and all of these things to mm-hmm. get to where i am if i can cut that journey short for you i ab- absolutely will so i'm telling you from the jump now what worked for me what didn't yeah. go to therapy earlier do affirmations earlier um understand yourself draw boundaries i want you to have a shorter road to where i've gotten to so that's basically where it's come from and it is it is my true passion and my true purpose honestly yeah, yeah. do you I, think you'd go back to school for like further studies no um people first of all people keep trying to make me their therapist like and i am it's like a boundary i'm having to set consistently yeah i am not a qualified therapist i can't therapize you however um i am training to do life coaching which mm-hmm. is somewhat of a guide and i feel like that's something which i could do um without having to go back to school or anything like that because i don't think i'm actually really interested in like the one-on-one um what's it you know dealing with someone like that i yeah. feel like i'm more of a masses kind of person that's when i uh, when i thrive like i like doing things in groups mm. more than necessarily just like one to one because it can be really draining and yeah. as i said it's like i'm an emotional person like i have a lot of empathy and it's, it's now i'm only everything. carrying to i'm learning to not carry but i think it might be too much for me okay yeah what would you say um you have learned about um let's say trauma mm. and pain mm. and what um what would you call it um structures we call them structures mm. have you put up to sort of be able to cope with these things um so number one, whether you are addressing your traumas and your pain it's addressing you it's either you're dealing with it or it's dealing with you mm-hmm. so what happens that people say that time heals but time does absolutely nothing because otherwise well, why are we talking about my childhood traumas mm-hmm. if that was it then once it's passed it's passed, passed but it doesn't what what happens is that when you have a wound or when you have 
pain, it seeps deeper into your subconscious and it starts affecting and informing your decisions. And that's why you want to address it. Because mm -hmm. are you attracting these people because you love them or because you're traumatized? Mm -hmm. Are you in this job because of a wound from your childhood? Like, you know, it's like you want to know whether or not you're seeing life clearly or whether you're not. Yeah. And I think with pain is that it demands to be felt. So if you keep pushing it down and keep pushing it down and keep pushing it down, it's going to come to the surface one way or the other. Whether it's going to come in form of abusing alcohol or drugs, whether it's going to become come in a form of being addicted to emotions and relationships or men or whatever the case may be, or being a super highly functioning person where you never get rest it's going to show itself in your life one way or the other. So mm. the best thing to do is just to face it head on. And it takes courage, but that's the best way to do it. Um, as far as the structures which I've put in place is number one, therapy. Mm. I recently did my um, had my therapy graduation. I didn't know it was even a thing. Um, so apparently you get to a place <laughs> uh -huh. where your therapist tells you, you are utilizing the tools that have been giving you enough that you don't need to be coming as frequently, ah. right? So it's like, actually the work with therapy happens in between sessions not in session yeah. it's in between when life comes that you're just like okay this time to apply the tool that i learned in therapy um and so therapy is one of the ones that just is always on speed dial yeah and i try not to be so reliant but it's always on speed dial two i have a wellness routine right your your brain is only able to handle the present moment but we're never in the present moment i bet you right now you're probably thinking about lunch yeah. or where you're going to be or next week or all your other plans that you have so it's too much for our minds so having a wellness routine of every day i wake up i have to meditate i can't even discuss anything if i haven't meditated um i'll pray i'll do my affirmations mm -hmm. i'll listen to empowering content to give my mind the nourishment it needs to face the day as it comes and i do that on on a daily basis yeah. so that is just like standard infrastructure then my relationships anyone it, there's no one in my life who's allowed to come and rob me of my peace and if you attempt to you're out you're out <laughs> and this is from because now i have the emotional maturity to have conversations and to try and work things out to see if this is possible to change it mm -hmm. despite all of that i'm just not going to fight you about peace in my life so yeah so if i have the people around me are great i'm taking care of myself my body and my mind you're good yeah Mm. So when life comes, at least I have some muscles. It doesn't mean that it's not going to kick my ass. It's been kicking my ass. It's been whooping my ass. But at least I can give yeah. a punch back. I can give a punch back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and as you're winding up your letter, mm -hmm. uh, you say, you know, thank you, young lid, yeah. for um, making good friends mm -hmm. and for, you know, doing things that have set me up right now. Yeah. And so in as much as she might have needed a nudge here, a nudge there, you sound like you're really proud and grateful. I am so proud yeah. and so grateful because... I know now how I'm handling life and I have all of the tools mm -hmm. and she didn't have any of that. Yeah. She was just like confused and she didn't know what to do and she was just trying her best to navigate. Mm -hmm. But there's still some way she knew this is too far. There's still some way she knows, no, he's got to go. Yeah. Despite not knowing, there's some things I really protected myself from and I've somehow had the courage to structure myself and have a life that I am so 
proud of. Mm-hmm. I am so happy to be here and I couldn't have been here without all of those versions of yes. me going through the trials and tribulations, going through all of the relationships. It's like I've allowed every moment that was difficult to help me expand in growth. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's my biggest flex. That's my <laughs> biggest flex. It's like anything difficult, I am going to figure out a way how to turn it and take as much growth out of it as possible yeah. and then we go to the next step we move so we yeah, move I'm we stay so moving <laughs> stay moving i'm so proud of her yeah. i'm so proud for all the things that she's learned the friends that she's been able to pick up along the way the keeping my heart open is the thing i'm most proud of no matter what's happened mm. i keep my heart open open to the world open to friends open to family and so i i always feel like i have an abundance of love in my life no matter what's going on So yeah, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> And so actually in the same spirit, mm-hmm. we normally do a sort of time capsule sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you wrote a letter to 16 year old Lid mm-hmm. and now we're going to live a letter to Lid in the future, so like 10 years from now. You will make me cry. This is <laughs> my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can take a minute mm-hmm. um think about what you'd like future Lid to hear from lead right now <laughs> and maybe in 10 years inshallah I'll look for you and hand you your message okay all right well for the two year old lydia um i would want you to know that i am giving this shit my best shot i'm giving it my best shot i am investing in myself i'm investing in my health and i know that the decisions i'm making now are going to make you feel proud they're going to be decisions that you're going to look back on and say that we changed the trajectory of our lives because of the decisions that i'm making now i know you're married i know you have two kids at least you better 42 you better um I hope that you um I hope that you're still continuing on doing the work that you're doing as far as um helping people staying on purpose. I hope that you found you've been able to find balance between family and being and being yourself because I know that's a big part of you. I hope you're traveling the world a lot more because we definitely need to do that more late. Um TMI is obviously the best the biggest baddest podcast in Africa by this time for sure. For sure. Um you're definitely the biggest wellness. I think you're the biggest wellness voice in Africa right now, Lydia. I believe that. Um and I hope you're happy. I hope whatever is happening in your life that you feel like life is your own the same way I'm feeling right now. I hope that you you feel like life belongs to you and you're still making the decisions to keep learning and keep working on yourself and creating a beautiful life for yourself. And I hope you're not boring. You better not be boring. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I can imagine her. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> any gray hairs yet? Not yet. No, my mom doesn't have any gray hair and she's 54. Oh uh, yeah. Or 56 or 57. <laughs> 57. She's turning 57. So I think she has some, but mm. not so much. So I don't think I have so any no gray hair. hair yet. I just know my body is still rocking. <laughs> My body is still rocking. It just has to be. It just has to be. That's the brand. There's no other way. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? Mm-hmm. I know that I'm happy. I know that I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I know that I am I am still trusting life the yeah. way that I am even now. Like even if everything is not perfect, I know I trust in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Love it. I can't wait to meet. And I'm a great mom. 42 year old Lydia. I'm a great mom. <laughs> I great know mom. that. I'm a great mom for sure. And a great Affirming wife. Affirming it into existence. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's it's in existence. Yeah. Great wife, great mom. Well, that's it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having us over. Thank you. I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I asked Wabosha off camera, like, what made you think to ask me? <laughs> and I thought she was going to say, you know what, Lydia, because you're inspirational. <laughs> you know, do you know what she said? She sees the conversation will be easier for her. <laughs> like, she thinks of it like, who's going to be the easiest to talk to? Let's go with her. Yes. And it was an easy conversation, was it? Not. Was, I feel was. like it really flowed and it was enjoyable for me personally. Me too. Yeah. Me too. You're a great interviewer. You asked me you. questions I wasn't anticipating, mm-hmm. which I like. So it's like making my brain work a lot more. Yeah. yeah and your beautiful energy. Thank you so much Thank for having you. me. That's a good thing. Yeah. And for you guys at home, we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. See ya.